Hey everybody, welcome to Hella Interesting People. My name is Mike Ruby. And my name isn't Mike Ruby. It's Jacob Rubin. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, I feel like, well, there's two people on this show, and I our voices are definitely very distinct from one another, but I want to make it clear. One of us is Mike Ruby, and the other one definitely isn't. Damn straight. Yeah. So I want to hear about your experience the other day. <laughs> you had a celebrity run-in. Yeah, this is a weird one, because this is something that even people who... Like, because, you know, when something like this happens, you might make a post on social media, and I didn't, and I'm going to talk about why. But, yes, I did meet John Voight last weekend. John Voight, very famous and successful actor, uh, especially in the 70s. Um, His most famous roles would probably be uh, Midnight Cowboy, Deliverance, and the film Coming Home, for which he won an Academy Award. He's the father of Angelina Jolie. That, that too, yes. He is also Angelina Jolie's father. Um, so yeah, I did a gig. I'm not going to say any uh, any details, but I, I did a I, I host private trivia events, and I'm available for bookings if you if you would like to have a private trivia event hosted by me, create written and everything, um, for uh, a birthday party in Los Angeles. And uh, you know, since moving down here, I've thought like, oh, I could one of these gigs. Maybe I'll meet a famous person. I never. And I always have that fun little daydream. So I get there, and he makes eye contact with me, and I think that he's like, oh, this kid probably recognizes me. I didn't. He. He came over and started chatting with me as I was setting up all my stuff up, talking about the music and what kind of trivia we were going to talk about. And we talked about classical music. He's really into, uh, I, f- I forget which composer exactly said, but he's, and he's talking about art and whatnot. And then um, I asked him how he knew the uh, birthday boy. And he said, through work. And I'm like, what do you do for a living? And he's like, I'm an actor. And I was like, I thought I recognized you. What's your name? And he goes, I'm John Voight. <laughs> and I feel like I, I kind of wanted to say, oh, hey, man. I'm sorry, I'm 32, <laughs> but like that's my bad for being young, I guess. But he was really nice about it. I mean, he probably meeting younger people, he probably doesn't um, get recognized as often as he used to, even though he's a very successful actor. And he, uh, so, so then when he walked away, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and I've seen two movies that he's been in. One of them is Transformers, where he put the Secretary of Defense in a role that no one remembers. And the other one is the one that I complimented him on. Afterward, after the after the trivia game happened, his team won, by the way. All right. Um, he comes over, and I, sa- I asked him earlier if I could get a selfie after the game, and he said, no problem. So then I said, oh, by the way, I looked you up on Wikipedia. I forgot that you were Zoolander's dad in Zoolander. That was great. Oh, he's he was. Zoolander's dad. Yeah. Yeah, in such a funny part where he's like you know, running around like just like a mermaid. He's like a coal miner. It's, it's a ridiculous little scene. Merman, daddy. Merman. Exactly. We referenced that in the mermaid episode. In the mermaid episode, yes. Yeah. So it all ties together. And so when I said that to him, he's like, you that's what you remember me from? This is a direct quote. That's what you remember me from? You haven't seen Midnight Cowboy? You haven't seen Deliverance? And I'm like, I have no choice but to apologize. I don't know. So then I took a photo. So we took a photo together, and uh, I said, it, and, and he complimented my work. He was, I cannot stress enough that he was very, very nice to me. Then I get home, and I look up his politics. I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. He is, of all the people in Hollywood, probably has is the most enthusiastic Trump supporter. Yeah. He even, there were rumors floating around that he was at January 6th. He wasn't. Um, but he did release a statement that said that it was overall a bad idea, but he understands where they're coming from and thinks their voices need to be heard. You know, that sort of shit. So I'm like, I have this photo on my phone of me with John Voight. Because, look, honestly, I just thought it was funny that I'm at Zoolander's dad. And also, this is it's a celebrity encounter where I'm performing a task for them. And they're je- like, I, I cannot stress this enough. As much as I think his politics are disgusting and abhorrent, he was really fucking cool to me. Yeah. So, you know, I were he, I, I it's, it's complicated. I, and also I didn't mention Angelina Jolie cause I feel like with young people, that's probably all he fucking hears. And yeah. they, they, they're on completely different sides of the political spectrum. Would not be surprised if they do not kick it. Yeah. So anyway, John Voigt lives in Los Angeles. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you met him. Yeah. And, and actually meeting a film star kind of ties into the interview for this episode. This is true. Yeah, we have Katie Lanigan as our guest today, who is a film producer. She also has experience uh, in acting, uh, so she's been on and off screen, mostly off screen lately. But we do get into uh, a couple of her acting roles as well. Yeah, I I have a lot more clarity now as to what a producer actually does. Uh, And it was inspiring. It was a cool talk. Yeah, she's worked on a lot of really interesting and diverse projects. And uh, yeah, it's a very... Uh, fun, and we have a, it's, it's just a fun interview with a lot of fun surprises. So, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy it.
Hey guys. Hey. I just got the little thing pop up that said like your video is being recorded. Oh yeah, you're being surveilled right now. All the other <laughs> shit's going straight to the FBI. Well, I'm not wearing pants, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> cool. Great. Well, that makes three of us. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Also, my dog's here, so that's four. Pantsless podcast. Yeah. Pantsless podcast. I love if, it. If we were wearing pants, <laughs> this would be the first podcast where people were wearing pants. Nobody wears pants on podcasts. It's, no, uh, it's, no. it's good everybody to, knows. It's good to talk to you, Katie. Um, I guess let's just start with I want to know about your trip to Serbia. How did that go? Oh, it was so good. Um, I love the Serbs. Serbians are so incredibly warm and friendly. Um, we I, I got back just on Saturday, um, so not too long ago, but I was only there five days. I went over uh, for production meetings. So we got to meet our like head of wardrobe and our production designer um, and all of sort of like the key people that are making the movie possible. So I'll actually be back there. Yeah, I'll be back there in September. So pretty soon. I was literally, I was just talking to my buddy, Tim, who got back from, he was in Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina and I've all, I've been curious to go to like any of those former Yugoslavian nations. That's like a part of the world mm-hmm. that I've never really even considered going to. Certainly not going to Serbia, but that's so the whole production is in Serbia, or it's just the some of the crew is there. No, yeah, yeah. So like, kind of how it all started is our executive producer Evan Ostrowski had done some commercial work over there, and when we were looking at shooting places. Uh, for this film, we had like uh, looked at a lot of places domestically here. And every time we pulled a budget, like we pulled a budget in Buffalo, they have really good tax credits in upstate New York. And then we were like, oh, you know, maybe we could do this down south in Louisiana or New Orleans. And and then we were thinking like Colorado potentially because as a work for higher state. Um, but when we pulled the budget for Serbia, um, we were shocked at like the numbers. They came in and they were so competitive to like every other budget we pulled and they gave us like more days and we can build all the sets from scratch and like it's just it's a total dream so it's super exciting so you're a producer that's been established i want that's what i do anybody who watches any sort of content whether it's movies or tv is familiar with the idea of a producer, but I feel like most people, myself included, don't fully understand what a producer actually does. So in your own words, what is the main job of a producer? I know, but you should tell him. (laughs) Well, I I have this conversation a lot with my parents, usually every year, (laughs) because (laughs) they still ask me, "What what do you do? And like, how are you doing it? Like they just, I think, I think that's what's kind of cool about like movie magic is, you know, you start with nothing and you create something out of nothing. Right. So there is this sort of like magic to the intangible of like you have words on a page and then all of a sudden this story takes a life of its own and becomes this whole big, beautiful thing. That's even more than you imagined it. And you're like, how did that, like that came from that. I feel like maybe that's how people think about their kids. Like I had a baby, but now this baby is like a human. That's weird. You know, it's like, um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely have that thought. I, I, can't, I can't relate. I was never a baby, but continue. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a shut the fuck up. <laughs> as, a, as a shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a dad, it's just like, you know, there's this kid that's like scooting around on the floor. Or I'm like, we, we made that out of stuff. <laughs> Not out yeah, of nothing. Right. But I mean, pretty much like it, it was microscopic, you know, I don't think Jacob crazy. understands. I'll explain the mechanics of it to him later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've, so I've Jacob, here's, here's the marching, here's the marching orders. Jacob, you explain to Mike what producing is. Mike, you explain <laughs> what babies are to Jacob and it's perfect. That's why we make such a great team. <laughs> right. So in your own words, what is the main yeah, job okay. of a producer? Yeah. Um, how I explain it to my parents and others included <laughs> is essentially we are glorified project managers. Um, I think what's hard for a lot of people um, is that term producer is really big and very ambiguous. And there's a whole ecosystem of different types of producers, you know? So 
for me specifically, um, I, I have worked uh, in a lot of different capacities. Um, you know, I was uh, producing with a television company for three years, then I went freelance, then now I started my own company. But essentially, it's managing people, uh, managing processes, managing timelines, and um, making sure everybody plays well together and is having fun. I, one of my core values as a person, and I think even in filmmaking, is having fun, fun haver. You know, call me fun haver. Um, but I really think like you have to create an environment where everybody feels like they want to work together and have sort of like a team team approach. Okay, it's sort of. I, do, I don't even know if I answered. Was that even an answer? I'm just like, no, I'd, I'd so say basically, that's legit. I mean, everyone who's had a job has had like, you know, you're, you, I mean, a, a manager, it's a project manager. You're keeping everybody on, like, the director yeah. is like the, the creative head of work, and you're yep. more the administrative managerial head. Absolutely. The business side. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, but again, like, there's different producers that some, some don't do all things. Like, I wear all hats. So, like, I, like me personally, you know, I, I, I raise investments. I, I work with securing equity for films. I work um, with, you know, marketing um, and marketing plans for our films. Um, I do everything from, you know, the creative side as well. Like I also am a writer and I wrote this project that we're now shooting in Serbia. So I also come at things from like a very, you know, creative standpoint as a producer um, and then, you know, hiring your team. Um, and managing those people, managing the process and, and really truly like any business or any individual, like you want to make sure that you have the best people around you as a producer, you're not doing, you, you have hands on everything, but you're really, you have to like, um, you have to enable people to like, feel like they can take charge and they can do, you know, what they're good at. And that's what I think I like about it the most is like, I kind of compare it sometimes to being like, um, a conductor right like in a symphony where like you have all these amazing talented people all these amazing musicians and everyone's doing this in harmony at the same time but they're doing different things you're the grown-up on set who has to take care of i shit. hope so sometimes Just i do want to know yeah what is the difference between an executive producer a line producer an associate producer and the other many kinds of producers can you break that down yeah 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 so it depends like in television, executive producer means something different than it does in film. Um, in film, an EP can fill a, a few different capacities. One is like executive producer. Uh, he's an, a financer. Yeah, executive producer. Sorry, EP. Um, he is bringing financing to a film, so that's like one thing. Like, okay, you have an investor that wants a, an on-screen credit, so they would get an executive producer credit because they're funding a part of the movie. Um, wow. Another way somebody can get an executive producer credit is maybe if they're an actor or talent and they want to start to get into producing, this is a way for them to sort of build their credibility. And, and so sometimes they'll request, you know, like an executive producer credit or, you know, and, and sometimes too, just attaching an, a talent as an EP is like a really big deal. So that can actually be helpful for you um, as a filmmaker. And then the other thing is, is you can have, uh, EPs that are like sort of godfathers, um, that are actually really investing in the film. And, and I mean, investing from a time perspective, from a opening doors for you, helping you, giving you advice, making sure you're meeting the right people, making sure, you know, you're getting in the right rooms with the project and like really just being sort of that like father figure, um, to to your film so it it depends yeah if that's helpful associate producer is a little bit more vague because um that sometimes that credit's given out based on different things some you know some associate producers are working on a project truly working on a project and um just doing a smaller role smaller part um it, it just depends and then i would say like a line producer like that's kind of your I don't want to say assassin, but like he's the guy that's like boots on the ground, really assassin? moving. Assassin? Is that what you just said? Well, not like assassin, but like, yeah, like they're getting shit done. You that's, know what I mean? That's the analogy. Um, and Someone who gets shit done, a, a hired murderer? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so bad. See what about assassins? Their work ethic is off the charts. This is, is going to, this, yeah, I'm like, shit, this is going to be listened to publicly. Oh, God. Oh, so funny. No, it is really Mostly funny. Mostly by but, our um, moms. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm so <laughs> excited, actually, to send this to my mom. 
Um, she, I don't know if she knows how to use pod podcasts or, or like get on them or what. I don't even, I, do I even know? I mean, that's where it, it sounds like it's coming from. I think you probably know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you need to give yourself more credit than that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm technology. You guys, we already, I already accidentally hung up on this call once. Hopefully it doesn't happen a third or second time. That's quite all right. This isn't that's live, again. so we can edit around anything. Yeah, we'll probably. Oh, that's that great. Oh, that's really great. I forget that, guys. That's yeah, right. This we, is not being live. We streamed. are streaming it live to literally dozens of viewers. <laughs> dozens of puppets are listening in. Yeah, right my dog now. is very quietly sitting in the corner. Oh, doing he's, so he's well, my dad. So, anyways, um, yeah, and then like a line producer, somebody who really supports. Um, the producers and does a lot of like boots on the ground work. And then there's like, I mean, you have creative producers too that, um, you know, sometimes just come in during post, post-production and are producing from an editorial standpoint. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of all across the board. Okay, that, yeah, that, that kind of summed up what I was driving at. I think, so I hope most people understand that what is seen on a screen is a mere fraction of what actually takes place on a film set. I guess, have you always been interested in, in how the sausage is made? Let um, me reword that. I know you're a vegetarian, so <laughs> how, how the falafel is made. Ooh, now you got me thinking. So wait, repeat back that question so I really can digest it. Have, I was just I was just asking, are, are you interested in like, have you always been interested in how the falafel is made in terms of like the inner workings of a film and everything that you don't see on camera, mm -hmm. which, you know, makes up the vast majority yeah. of what takes place when making a film? Yeah, I think um, so. I remember when I was on the acting side, which is kind of how I drained into producing. Uh, I, they, they would wrap me on set and I would like, just want to keep hanging around because it was like so fascinating and fun for me. Um, and I loved like the crew and like joking with the crew and like learning about what people were doing. And, but you know, as an actor, it's like, no, you, it, you're a liability now. So you have to go home, like never make sure you're out of here. And like, so I do remember like early days of like my independent film acting career. I was like, I just loved being on set. Like it's, it's adrenaline rush, like, like none other. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to experience. So I do think I got my first taste of that and then, um, wanted to learn more and know more, but I think really why I love producing it. I am not as much as of a cinephile as a lot of my friends are in the industry or, you know, in the know on a lot of the like pop culture or like tastemakers, right? Like I'm, I just love people and I love seeing people do what they're talented and good at and creating something and and nurturing something like for me I'm a very nurturing person um so I really like being able to be in that leadership position where you could nurture this whole project and see it through to the very end and um and that's like that's what's exciting to me about producing but again I look at producing as something very avant-garde as well, right? Like what we're all producers. Like, this is something I talk about a lot with people. It's like, you know, some people look at me and they're like, oh, you're a producer. But I'm like, no, you're a producer too. We're all producing. We're all, you know, choosing to create things out of raw materials every day. We Am produce our thoughts. We produce uh -huh. our conversations. We produce environments. You are a producer. I mean, my we kids, are, we are all, are, you know, and that's true. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> But from the way yeah, you describe it, Katie, is uh, you recognize what people are dope at and you help them continue to be dope and maybe be even doper. I know that's like a very uh, not eloquent way of, of putting that it, is, but you but, foster. But we're not eloquent. Like, let's just throw that out there, right? Like Sam Fran, talk, ease, speakies, okay? Hella not, like, yeah, just say it as it is. Word. <laughs> word. 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 Oh. The people. So you mentioned so, yes, you're talking about that is uh, what I do. You're talking about being an actor before you're a producer. Let's mm -hmm. talk about something uh, in which you were both an actor and a producer. This Futurama fan film that you that you made, Fanorama. This fucking thing oh, yeah. is amazing. It's nuts. I just watched it for the first time today. And I it was like the effects that you guys were doing on that thing are mind blowing. 
everything look it looked like the show was just real. So to clarify yeah. for the listeners, it is a live action remake of well, it's it's like an original episode of Futurama, but done in live action with like special effects and prosthetics. How and, many people work on that Bender puppet? I counted eight. Oh God, um, th- that built it, or that were puppeteering? That it? were like that were like operating it in action. Oh yeah, I yeah. Holding, I mean, not even counting that. That's. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I, I'm unsure as to speak to the build portion. I'm sure it was a work of many yeah. um, talented craftsmen. Um, in regards to the puppeteers, we always had five puppeteers on set. Uh, I do believe uh, at times maybe we had six, but we usually had five puppeteers at all times. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Uh, the prosthetic eye. So you play the character of Leela, who, if anybody hasn't seen Futurama, is wow. a... I don't a, think anyone who listens to this podcast hasn't seen Futurama. Well, just just to make sure, uh, Leela is a, a <laughs> yes, woman, some, a, a, an alien species of some kind with one eye. Or she's a mutant, yeah. right? Yeah, she's, she's a, a mutant. Yes. Leela, yeah. From yeah, the sewers. Yeah. yeah, so Spoilers. this prosthetic eye thing, I when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, this is really good CGI. But no, that shit, it, it's a handcrafted prosthetic with a motor inside of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I heard you talk about there's a behind the scenes thing about how little vi- visibility you had through that prosthetic eye. Like you probably couldn't really see your fellow actors. No, I only could see very little out of like the corners of the eye. Um, but they would really just have me um, take my mark. Like I would have like a handler, like who like walked me places and was like, right. stand here, turn here, shift here. I guess um, in terms of your performance, um, in terms of your ability to interact as the character Leela, was that uh, <laughs> Jacob's dog. Did you fart? <laughs> Sorry, my dog is Did coughing. Did somebody fart? He's fine. He's fine. No, it, it was okay, just, fart, uh... fart jokes are always funny. And if anyone tells you differently, like they're not human, but they're just funny. He was just working something through. Yeah, he, he's okay. <laughs> he, he just had a, he just had the water went down the wrong pipe, which is something that dogs can do in addition to people. They're really just like us. <laughs> they really are, except better. Yeah. So, so as an uh, an actor, I'm just wondering if the eye, like you're you're basically blind mm-hmm. on set. How did that affect your ability to interact as that character? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you, you, I really had to dig into my other senses. Um, so I really had to like, listen, um, and respond authentically in listening. Um, and then also too, like there was some choreography involved just in regards to like, you know, making, making my entrances and movement stuff and really embodying like that strong kind of female, um, presence of Leela who's like such a badass you know so I did a lot of like physicality stuff um and then really just like listening and trying to respond best I could um in character um was was the way that I was my workaround but it was challenging it was challenging and it was you know I'm sure challenging for the other actors as well um you know Fry uh who's played by my friend Cody who's also produced it with me who's a producer on it um you know, he was also, um, why am I blanking on the name now? Uh, the, uh, the doctor. Oh, the, uh, the, the professor. No, professor. no, no. The, oh, um, far, he's far, a professor. Far, yeah. 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 Um, and that makeup prosthetic was like extremely difficult. Um, so everybody, even Zoidberg, that was played by Andy Klimzak, who's also one of the writers, um, you know, everybody had their challenges. So we were at least all in it together to some, you know, to some point. I fucking loved Zoidberg. I could, I could have used a little bit more Zoidberg. That's we can only... always. <laughs> I mean, that's like the, the, the way the tentacles were going up and down and how you guys sort of decided like what his feet were like, what, cause Zoidberg's feet are not very well, like illustrated on the mm-hmm. show. They're not very detailed. So you were mm-hmm. like, we got to figure out what that looks like. And it was unsettling, but he, so was he as a character. So I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing that guys. That's one of like, one of the projects I'm really most proud of um, and enjoyed the most because there was so much creativity and actually it was probably the biggest compliment. Um, David X. Cohen and Matt Groening came to see the sets. Oh, yeah. we'd, we'd built everything um, in a soundstage, in a studio stage. Um, and so it was just so cool 
um, to have them come through and be, and be like little kids. Like they're just, wow, you know, you guys, and it was really a labor of love, um, from our director and producer. It was really like his vision and something that he was just so passionate about and such a super fan. So because it came from so much love, I think they, they felt that love. They really appreciated all the details and the, and the care, um, that we took with this you know, their brainchild, their baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were incredibly gracious. And it was, I think the biggest compliment, um, even more than going to Comic-Con with the thing and, you know, being able to set up a booth and interact with fans. I think the biggest compliment was just having them walk through and eat lunch with us and, and joke yeah. around and be like, thank you. You know, like, this is really cool. That's fantastic. And also you guys landed arguably the most successful Richard Nixon impersonator of all time, Rich Little. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. That was really, really fun. So we went down to Vegas to shoot with him. Oh, Um, And he was such a character. Like just in real life too, as you can imagine, we saw him, he was doing comedy stand-up. So we went to to see his impersonations and then we filmed because he was gracious enough to invite us to to come see him perform. And then we filmed with him the next day. And like, he's a legend, right? So it's like, it was just so cool being, being able to do that with him. And he did, he nailed it. I mean, yeah, yeah he's I don't know if you've seen the rich little Christmas Carol but he does the entire show every iteration is a different 70s celebrity he's just such an incredible impression so that's so cool yeah it was fun I was nerding I was definitely nerding out um definitely I am curious out. about um so this is a lot of elaborate sets and prosthetics and it couldn't have been cheap to make where did the no. budget come from? I mean yeah like nothing nothing in film is ever cheap to make. I mean, even on like low level independent movies, it's like, you know, the, it costs add up quick. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't, um, but it was definitely something that, um, yeah, I mean, it was worthwhile. Of course. I, I just, I'm curious to know where the budget was acquired, like who funded it. Yeah. I, we usually don't talk about financing. Um, questions just in general okay. like yeah I, yeah i would say we'd probably just take that out yeah that's i mean it would be a rude fucking question for me to ask in most contexts like where did the money come from that but just since you're a producer i was just kind of i was kind of curious you know, yeah like how- i mean it depends i was i'll say this like i wasn't involved in raising investments for that specific project that wasn't one of my tasks or roles um, I do do that. And we do have, uh, equity partners in a lot of different projects that come from different sources and, you know, just on broad levels, there's, you know, film funds that people set up with, um, different equity partners. There's, um, a lot of like high net worth individuals that have always wanted to invest in films or use it as a tax write-off. You know, there are, there are hedge funds that allocate a certain amount of money towards film production. So across the board, there's a lot of opportunities for financing possibilities. I wasn't involved in financing uh, any, anything or was involved with those conversations. So I, I don't know. Yeah. But like, even on this project, like, you know, um, I, I can't get too deep in the weeds on that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. No, that was, that actually gave me a lot of clarity. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, it, it is, the money can come from a lot of different places. It's just, oh, yeah. I knew it wasn't like the director of the film, like shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, there, it must have come from somewhere. And I'm not going to sure. try anymore as to where it came from. I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't that, I wasn't privy to that. Um, yeah, on that project. I mean, thinking about, because I just, I, I just shot a commercial um, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. And cool. uh it was a beer commercial. We've talked about this on the podcast already, but um, there was a guy, I mean, there. Every, when I looked at it, I was like, okay, this is just a commercial. It's just like three actors, but I'm like, there's so many people here and there's so much, yeah. like there's a guy whose entire job was making sure that the beer looked foamy. He would come by with a thing to put in the beer. And I'm like, this is a man's living wage. So th- yeah. the amount of money that has to go into these projects, especially something like this with all of these effects and all these puppeteers and all this animation, like it's got like, I mean, the fact that any movie gets made, I'll say this, the fact that any movie ever gets made considering how much money is required is kind of a miracle. It is absolutely, an absolutely a miracle. I mean, if people that are in this industry, the majority of them, I mean, not all of them, but like they're not in it for the money. You know, they like love mm-hmm. telling stories. They, you know, have a passion for what they do. You know, they care about the things they make. Like 
if you want to make a ton of money, like, I don't know, go find a very successful, stable you know, job with like insurance and stuff. And like, yeah. I don't know. Become People an investment banker. Yeah. <laughs> so you studied at UCLA. Um, I, I know you went to Columbia College, Chicago with me for your undergrad. Uh, and then for your grad program, it was at UCLA, correct? Mm-hmm. No. I said, mm-hmm, no. <laughs> um, it's uh, so today. not at all to disparage UCLA's film program, but I'm curious to know if studying production in college really prepares you for working on a professional film, or did you just show up at your first professional film and be like, oh, this is way different than anything that I had been prepared for? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, well, first of all, I didn't get my grad degree from UCLA for the record. I got my grad degree from IIT, but I went to UCLA's professional producing program, which was a certificated program for people that had college uh, degrees. So it was like a continued education certificate program. Uh, And it was rigorous. It was like, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, it was awesome. Um, But it was nothing like grad school was after I went, you know, into grad school. So basically like my undergrad was in entrepreneurship and arts media management that was um the department that i was in at columbia in my undergrad after that um i had a really interesting series of events happen uh when i was on the acting side of things this was during college um i wanted to be around filmmakers and network and and just be in those environments as an actor so i had started volunteering um i also got a a, a internship at the looking glass theater in chicago um, but I started volunteering at Film Fest and I went and volunteered at the Chicago International Film Fest, which is Got super it. bomb and great. And when I was there, I met somebody who was like working the Sundance Film Fest. I was like, why don't you do the Sundance one too? So I was like, oh yeah, that would be fun. So then I, I volunteered at the Sundance Film Festival. And while I was there, I had met a producer through a friend of mine who was in Los Angeles and producing and later became my business partner, who was like, hey, I have a producing friend there. Uh, you should meet with him. So I, I met with him. We went to the something cow, Java cow for like ice cream or coffee, like right on Main Street. And um, we just kind of basically struck up like a, a conversation, good friendship. And he was like, what do you, what do you, you're acting, but you like studied entrepreneurship, like you're, you're doing business, but like, you're acting like, what do, what are, what are you want to do? And I'm like, well, I really do want to act. He's like, well, have you, you know, considered producing? Has that ever crossed your mind? I'm like, not really, you know, like I never, I don't know. I just kind of figured that the business degree was, you know, smart choice. And I feel like business applies to everything you do in life. And I know I want to be some sort of like entrepreneur or business, business person, you know, later down the line. So he, so he kind of basically pitched me. He's like, look, I got this project. Um, you know, I could use some help on it. You know, I'll give you an associate producer credit. You do some work for me for free, like on the, like the business side and stuff. And, um, you know, I'll give you like a, like an acting, like a one line acting gig or something. And I was just like, uh, okay, yeah, that sounds great. You know? And, and he kind of like showed me the ropes and, um, and that's kind of how I got started in, in producing and, and I just loved it. Um, and so that kind of opened a lot of doors for me. And then I started my own company called Ab Reaction Pictures with that producer I told you about who was in Los Angeles. I'd met in Chicago. He was a lawyer. Am I just blabbing, guys? Is this, no. I don't even know. No, Is that my blabbing? Okay. In fact, um, I'm just going to mention, because you've since started another production company called Renegade Studios. Yes. Right? So Ab Reaction was an early company. That was like 2012. 2012. Yep. And that I started with my business partner and we were working on a co-production in Hong Kong. I moved to Hong Kong um, to mature some of those uh, partnerships and relationships. And, um, and while I was there the first week, I met a guy who uh, was going to UCLA for a certificate program in directing. And that's when I applied uh, to the program. And then when I got back from Hong Kong, because that project fell through, um, I got accepted and I was like, oh, this is, this is great. And only thought it would really be short-term. I never imagined myself living in LA a long time. 
And uh, after I finished that certificate program, I started working at a television company and I was there for three years. That's where I did a series for Lifetime Television called They Took Our Child. We got her back. Full title? Yes. Very, very yeah, let's, um, let's dramatic title, but very good show. Let's pivot and to I, that because I was going to, yeah. um, I had some questions about that. So, I mean, you, you started this series about kidnapping and sex trafficking. Like this was your, this was your brainchild, right? This is my baby. Mm-hmm. Pretty dark mind, you guys. Just kidding. Yeah. Well, I mean, I watched a preview, a couple of the previews that uh, you sent me, and holy shit. Yeah, it's heavy. I mean, that is some heavy, heavy material. It's heavy. Um, I'm curious to know how. So, how did that come to be? And did you conduct the interviews with the victims featured on the show? Like, were you? I did. Yeah, I did. Actually, I think the favorite part of my job. Uh, and I haven't done a while since my last documentary on PBS, but my the, the favorite thing to do in production is to interview. I've done like over a hundred hours of interviewing um, and it is, I love people and being able to create an environment where someone tells you their personal story, their personal journey in life, I consider so sacred and such an honor. Um, and it changes you as a person as much as, um, you know, their story changes others. Just being able to, to sit with that firsthand um, is really an honor. Uh, these women are amazing. I love all of them and have kept in touch with many of them over the years. Um, so it's beautiful to see what they've done to empower others and to continue on their journey of healing. And, and um, it takes immense amount of courage to do what they did. And, um, it was hard to get some of them on the show. And I, I, I understand why, um, because that's a really hard thing to share and talk about over and over and over and over again. Cause imagine like when they, when they first were kidnapped and came home, you know, they had, they, they've told that story a lot and that's a hard thing to keep doing. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for them, how it came to be. I was at a conference and we were on break and I sat down at a taco bar because I love tacos and beer. And so I went to sit down at this taco bar and these, cause I'm a freaking chatty Kathy, Michael, you know this. I chat with everybody and ever, and anybody. So someone's at the door. Oh my God. Hold on. I think it's my Chinese food. Hey, we had Chinese food. Hi. Oh, thank you. Yeah, can you sign this, please? Yeah, can you hold this? Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you want to be on a podcast? Podcast? Yeah, what's up, dude? Yeah, we're, we're taping up, a podcast right now. You're on Hella Interesting People. Oh, really? What podcast is this? It's called Hella Interesting People. I'm going to look you guys up. Sick. Yeah, maybe. Hey, yeah, they'll, they'll put you on it. Oh, Thanks really? That's awesome. Yeah, I order from you guys all the time. So oh, really? Yeah, I'll let you know. Cool. Yeah. I'll Thank you, you know. so much. You <laughs> Thanks for See you. Bye. We're definitely keeping that in there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's staying. Um, <laughs> so back to child um, abduction and sex trafficking. Um, I just, it, it speaks immensely to, you know, the your character and who you are as a person, because this is subject matter that a lot of people wouldn't tell their therapist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so you must have really fostered an environment of trust and safety in order to get those stories out of people. I tried. I tried. I mean, yeah, I wasn't look, there's also a lot of things about the show that were incredibly difficult. And my original vision for the show definitely got sidetracked a little bit. I think it turned out to be a little bit more sensational than I would have liked and a little bit more of like a crime a cr- with a crime you know thriller sort of true crime sort of position yeah. yeah and that wasn't my original heart but look in the creative process you're going to have compromises and things you're not the only voice in the room but the heart behind it was very much to tell stories of women that you know uh had gone through really difficult things and give them that opportunity to empower others and how it happened I literally was eating at a taco bar um, and uh, sat down, was chatting with this woman. And this conference I was at was like a, a spiritual like uh, conference, Christian conference. 
And this lady was there and I started talking to her. I'm like, so where are you from? What's like, why are you here? And she's like, just melts. Like she just starts crying. And she's like, I'm here because I, like, it's a last resort. Like, I didn't know what else to do, but pray. My daughter's been gone two weeks. I live in California and I'm just like a mess. Like my friend took me here because like, I can't sleep. I can't eat. Like, I don't know where my daughter is. I, she's 12 years old, like, and literally is just crying. Like, so I'm, my heart is just like broken. Um, and I, I could not shake her story. And it just sat with me. Like, what is that journey like for a parent who is missing? Like, like they have no answers. Like that's the, that is the worst hell that you can possibly be in. And I mean, that kind of thing, even before I was a dad, that would really stress me out. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really kind of an unimaginable thing to go through. Just, there's no answers. You don't know, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So, so so I stayed in contact with her though. Um, and, uh, a couple of weeks later, she did find her daughter. It was a familial abduction, which a lot of times most abductions are familial. Uh, generally, stranger abductions are relatively rare. Um, and so, you know, but that birthed this whole movement because before that, I wanted to do a show on sex trafficking. But there's a lot of complications with finding stories of survivors because they're usually still really endangered from their pimps and other things. And so, right. sex trafficking is it's it was a harder it was, it was a harder pitch, honestly, just from a logistic standpoint. I'm going to work up the courage to watch this show. I like, it's going to be hard. Yeah. This sounds like I'm watching Ted Lasso right now. And this sounds like literally the opposite. Uh, so <laughs> I, I may like Ted watch Lasso. that and, just watch, and watch that and go to Ted Lasso and then back, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You kind of have to like do a palate cleanse, palate right. cleanse. <laughs> You know, the, yeah, I would say definitely watch it. I think as a parent, it's hard to stomach um, because it's just, it's, it's your most raw animalistic fear um, when you have, when you have a child. So anyways, yeah, it was, it was some, it was some interesting things, interesting conversations and a lot of growing uh, emotionally for me to, to do on that show. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, like that kind of shit, that information probably took a toll on you a hundred percent I feel like I had a little bit of PTSD um <laughs> when I was done with the show and and not because and not because of you know the girls or anyone involved it was just you know the content of researching stories you know for a year and a half of people that have been kidnapped or sexually exploited or trafficked or you know it's it weighs on you a little bit so I know you have done some other documentary work for which you were mm-hmm. nominated for an Emmy. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, I lost. Um, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> what, the, what the the what the film was? No, I'm just I'm I'm messing with you. No, it was a uh, it was a uh, that was also probably one of the prouder projects I've worked on. So that project um, was for PBS. It was a documentary on racism and trauma healing. Um, and it basically, it basically talks about trauma healing through the lens of racism and intergenerational trauma, because a lot of us don't realize even with racism and our, you know, um, prejudices that we have, um, we don't realize that sometimes those are things that we carry from our forefathers and our father's fathers. And they're subtle. Sometimes they're subtle. Other times they really affect your genetic, like you're actually genetic coding, which is crazy. Just the way that they have, you know, talked about alcoholism potentially being passed down through your genes. The same thing is proven with trauma and racism. So it's something to really, um, especially now I'm, I'm so happy um, to have, first of all, been educated myself on all of that stuff because I um, I read an ama- amazing book that was the hypotheses of that documentary um, that really changed my life as a person and my outlook and really made me an advocate for minorities. Like I'm currently a part of an organization now called Mission One Race, which celebrates uniqueness um, and also celebrates diversity in oneness. Um, and so 
for me, that project, that PBS project that I was nominated for an Emmy for motivated uh, a lot of other things that came out of my life now, currently that I'm a part of um, and that I advocate for. And so it was a learning process for me. I hadn't learned until very recently about the idea of intergenerational trauma and how mm-hmm. that, how trauma is, it can be um, genetic. It can just mm-hmm. be passed down, which is terrifying to me for being a dad. I don't want my son to deal with that shit. But also, you know, if you are the descendant of slaves, that shit mm-hmm. stays with you. It's, it's great that it's now a part of the conversation. And I think it's cool that, you know, you've tapped into that too, with just like your family as well, you know, and your son. What, uh, did we mention the title of this film? It's called Unchained. Unchained. Like to me, I'm, I'm super thankful because um, like working on that project for BBS definitely gave me such a big education on racial healing and racial reconciliation and um it's a big part of my life and and what I hope to do more of in life so that project for me personally was probably one of my favorites um and then also it just it did really well it aired multiple times on PBS um I was nominated for an Emmy for it so that was really really cool um and this was in 2017 so um you know a couple years ago uh, but yeah, it was, it was a joy to work on the other producer that I worked on it with too, was incredible and is super talented. And she's like a senior producer who's been in television a long time. So I learned a lot from her. Um, and we just had a lot of fun, a lot of wonderful interviews. And it was definitely like probably one of the capstones on my career. So you uh, worked on a film, you produced a film called Love Meets Hope. Yes. That I saw the preview for that. Uh, it's got Ed Asner in it. Oh, hey. He is hilarious. What was your experience like working on that? Um, that was great. Um, I was pretty hands-on. It's actually funny how it evolved. It started as um, just like a short. And then after we produced one of the shorts, we realized like, this is really cool. We could produce multiple of these shorts and could be based on different scenarios with the same actors. So like love, envy, you know, um, mystery right so it's like you have this couple falling in love a lot of different ways um and then as we were going along that process we were at like 65 percent done with like all of these little shorts we were like honestly we might as well just turn this into a feature so we kind of had to reverse engineer it after we filmed these shorts to build an overarching storyline and through line and my my now business partner brad fowler um who's an excellent writer uh, wrote uh, a script that kind of incorporated all those mini story storylines or featurettes, almost kind of like Big Fish. If you guys have seen that, it has like a Big Fish feel. Oh, um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was a blast to be a part of and to produce. It was a lot of work because I was also working at a television company uh, full time. So I, yeah, I was stretching myself really thin, like going to set at like, you know, 530 in the morning, getting into the office at like 830 going back to set after we wrapped at the office. Like, and I did that for like a good two weeks. And that was just the production aspect. I mean, there was a pre-production and development, which is a whole other thing, but um, my favorite part of the production process is definitely production. Yeah, for sure. Your favorite part of the production process is production. Well, it's yeah, because you have pre-production, right? You have post-production but like actually being on set with everybody, it's like, you just, it's a high, like none other. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And I imagine just based on everything I know about you and everything that I've learned in the past little while, since we've been recording, uh, you would just be an excellent presence on any film set. Cause I'm sure there is lots of stress, lots of mixed feelings, a lot of uncertainty, but if, I mean, you're as a producer, you're really the person at the helm. Yeah. And, you know, it's really fun because a lot of it is like problem solving and like always having a solutions mindset. Like you just always have to like be thinking of what are our solutions? Um, Cause there's really no time to, to think about anything else. The other thing I really like about producing is like, and maybe this goes to, to the fact that like I'm an eternal pessimist which honestly is funny because most people think I'm an optimist in life I am very positive and I, I always believe in the best but like 
I definitely have this other side to me that's like everything that's going to go wrong is going to go wrong. Like that's just life. And um, it's where a lot of my comedy comes from as well. Um, my dark comedy. Um, but I will say that like I'm, as, as a producer, what's really great about that is you really think through like everything going wrong. And then you try to pre-plan and have solutions for all of those different scenarios. So it's like a lot of critical thinking and it's a lot of um, like just, you know, being engaged and, that's and a, that's a really great place to be where you can expect the best and be prepared for the worst. And I'm, yeah, I'm that's glad literally said, it. Yeah. I'm glad you said that thing about pessimism. Cause I am also a pessimist yes. sometimes to my own detriment. Sometimes it gets in the way, but other times it kind of protects you, right? Like it, it helps you think ahead and go like the, all of this shit could go wrong not necessarily it will go wrong but there's but always a chance of it going wrong so let's prepare let's get contingency plans together yeah how do you mitigate the risk right like that's what i'm always thinking i'm like how do we mitigate our risk in all of these scenarios i hate problem solving yeah i i, I, I like whenever there's a problem i'm just like all right let's just call it quits like <laughs> <laughs> let's stop no, i'm here. not really not literally but i'm not a very good problem solver. And that's something that I am really trying to work on about myself, but that's cool. You know. Well, I mean, you guys, you've come a long way. I mean, it's, I think it's really cool that you guys, um, I mean, talking about problem solving, like just creating things you like in life, like you guys created this whole podcast just out of thin air. I mean, you've been longtime friends. I know you've like collabed on other stuff, but it's like really cool to see that you guys are doing what you love. And, um, I really respect that. Well, thank you. That, thank you. That, that's really why we had you on this episode is we just wanted validation from you. Also, we were hoping you would produce the, the theatrical adaptation. We're going straight to Broadway. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Let's do I it. I have Alan Arkin set to play me and Alan Alda <laughs> to play you. So that's perfect. We've just got the two Alans. <laughs> Alan and Alan. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Katie about Renegade Studios of which you are the founder and CEO. Yes. I would guess that many producers don't have the business wherewithal to set up their own shop like you did. So can you talk about how Renegade came to be? Yeah. Um, well, it definitely helped. I mean, I went back to school after I worked on that project with PBS in Chicago. I went back and did my grad, uh, my graduate degree at IIT in business. Right. So I have my MBA and I think um, that had definitely helped equip me. I mean, I always had the foundation, but like there's something that really, when you go through a grad school program, like it's very rigorous and um, it really polishes off a lot of things um, that you have foundationally, but maybe just really takes you to the next level. So that was super helpful in me kind of getting my own wings and starting my own company. And the other thing is, is like, I really wanted to create a culture that I, I believe in and that I want to champion and that has my DNA, you know, the thing that's really special about our company and our projects is they're a reflection of us. So, you know, when you do business with somebody, you're not just buying a product, you're not just buying a script, you're not just buying an idea, you know, you're buying into the, the value of people, of humanity. And so um, I just always had a vision and, and a dream for what I, how I wanted to operate. You know, the, the industry's really cutthroat, it's really hard and there's a lot of challenges and it has to be, and I have to be at times as well. Um, but I believe in having non-toxic work environments. I believe in, you know, everyone having a voice at the table and championing each other and um, having respect ultimately, even when you disagree. Um, and a lot of times, you know, um, uh, it's hard, you know, it's, we're in a creative industry. So creative people are the most beautiful things in the world, you know, create people that create, um, but they also come with a little bit of a, that dark side, which, you know, is emotional and is fragile and is, is hard to deal with. I am as also, I'm not just speaking about creatives. Like that's me too. You know, I am a basket case sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, and so we just, we, it's just finding that balance. Um, but yeah, I, I love having a business. I don't know if that answered. What was the question? 
No, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about how it came to be. I was just because mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that until I read your bio. Oh like, wow! I, I don't know. We've talked about your job before, but I don't know if you've ever mentioned to me that you set up your own shop and mm-hmm. now you're a CEO. Mm-hmm. That's well, and I, thanks, guys. Um, as I eat my Thai food, you know, it really started. Um, it started actually when I left LA, my business partner pitched me this idea, which is the capstone, which is now what we're filming, but it's really the anchor project of our development company, our production company. And he pitched it to me as a joke. And I was like, that is so dumb. That is so dumb. It just might work. Like it's brilliant. It's so fucking simple. It's brilliant. And so, um, so we started that project and then after I finished PBS and I started uh, the PBS gig and I started my grad, my grad school, um, we had formalized our partnership. And so that's kind of what came out of, uh, an idea with a friend at a coffee shop that I'd worked with before I worked with him on love meet hope. And, um, and we, we were committed to the project. And then the project is really what propelled us forward. That was like, wait a second, like we, we should do this with like all of our stuff, you know, all of our scripts, we should just like, you know, start our company. And sorry, guys, I have another, another phone call, whatever. Um, so who calls people? I know, right? Texting. Texting. That's why we have texting now. That's true. Yeah, we should have replaced phone calls entirely. I think, I think there may be an opportunity for that in the future. I'm uh, an advocate for calling in certain situations, like when I was on my way to your house and I almost puked in the car because I was trying to text. <laughs> oh, sure. I was really car sick for that whole hour I took. Yeah, he got hours. really, he was not, like he was, he like texted me like, I can't, I can't text you. <laughs> right, well, I called you and then you're just like, no, I can't talk. I'm like, oh, okay, I just uh, got a barf. Like, <laughs> I'll get <laughs> you up after. Uh, yeah, man, that shit. That shit gets worse as you get older. I'm dreading it. I, I know that at some point I'm gonna get I'm gonna get off a roller coaster and be like, all right, that was the last one. That was yeah, I'm done with roller coasters. Now. That that was that happened to me with the Aerosmith rock and roller coaster at Disney World. Oh no, Aerosmith was a part of it. Well, no, it was that, and then the Tower of Terror. I just did them oh, both in a row. And I was just like, I'm done. I can't. You, you gotta have like a cooler, you gotta go on like Snow White or something in between. Yeah, you need. Oh a, yeah, the back to back. That you're done, man. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a silly idea on my part, but you know what's not a silly idea is starting your own production company. And that's, <laughs> no, that is super silly. That so another is, call. Sorry, guys. It's okay. What is? Can you tell me what the next thing is that Renegade Studios is affiliated with or, or putting out? Yeah, I mean, we have this project in Serbia. That's like our next big thing right now. We're casting. Right. Um, we're, uh, we have an amazing casting director out of London who has been busting her butt to get us awesome cast uh, options. So we should be securing talent in the next like week or so, two weeks, um, or at least our, our leads will be locking in our leads. And then we're gonna be doing some casting locally in Serbia as well for some smaller parts. Um, but right now, like that's our priority. Um, I think once we move past and get into post-production, um, we're gonna look at our slate and see which projects we wanna really lead with and package probably a few together. Um, and then I have this amazing unscripted uh, project that I've been championing. Championing? Championing? That's championing. the word. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. And that is a really character driven, um, unscripted reality show, uh, that hopefully will be coming to a TV near you. Hell yeah. Can, so, can you tell us anything about the project in Serbia or are we only allowed? Uh, to I can tell you that is, yeah, I can tell you like broad strokes. It's a comedy horror. Um, Ooh. it is, it leans, it's similar to like a happy death day. Uh, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. Is that a time loop? Yes. Okay. Um, it's a Groundhog's Day. Sure. Or Palm Springs. Did you see Palm Springs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really good. I didn't see that. It's really good. It's on Um, Andy Sandler. Oh. Yeah. So those are the broad strokes I can tell you. Um, 
and that we are hoping for a theatrical release. Um, again, with COVID, we don't know if what movie theaters, theaters will exist, look yes. like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm really hoping for that. So. So please tell me in detail. Where is the money coming from? <laughs> it, Where's the money, much, Lebowski? Right? Where's the fucking money, shithead? Where's the money? No, uh, I mean, no, I'm just I kidding. Can't out people like that, but you know, I know yeah. LA is not your original uh, hometown, but you are a bona fide LA mm-hmm. cinema. Like you, you are part of the machine, and I, I mean that in the best way possible. You are legit doing the LA thing, which Thanks, so many people move out here and aspire to do. So that's great. I'm just- Good to be reminded. It's good to be reminded of that. And I really appreciate that. Well, Katie Lanigan, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks I, for please, listening to all my shenanigans. You know what I mean? Please enjoy your takeout. <laughs> it, looks, it looks delicious. The takeout tell, was tell the taken del- in and uh, it is amazing. Tell the delivery guy to tell all his friends that he's on a podcast. I will, you guys. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, we're definitely keeping that part in. Yeah. No, you have to. I'm like so excited. And honestly, this Thai place is so bomb. Like, it's amazing. So I'm going to see him probably. I like every week. It's like a go-to. So I'll let him know next week to tune in, to tell his friends to tune in and his friends' friends. And um, you guys are the best. Thank you. This, it's such this an honor. Is the moment, such an honor. This is the moment that hella interesting people became a global phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Katie. Have a good one. It was an honor. Thank you, guys. Bye. That was our chat with Katie Lanigan, film producer, entrepreneur, actress, overall excellent and hella interesting person. Here's... Okay, speaking of a hell interesting person, are you familiar with the work of uh, of Joey Chestnut? He's the competitive eater. Yeah, he's yeah. the guy. He's always at the Coney Island hot dog eating contest. He holds like several dozen competitive eating world records. Yeah. What do you think that dude's butthole is like? Because <laughs> like every <laughs> July sixth, maybe fifth, it's got to be like again. <laughs> I mean, I do wonder these things. Like, yo, know, after you eat 45 hot dogs or however many, you probably ate more than that. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think the contest is 15 minutes long and he's pounding, pounding them. And every year he breaks his own record. That's an important thing. Almost every year he breaks his own personal record, at least in, you know, competitive play. Um, so, like, it must, like, what, what happens to the body after the eating? Because we don't see the rest. He's not the only competitive eater. What happens to a person? After this, yeah, there's an ep- there's a thing on Netflix called "We Are the Champions." It's it's a docu series where every episode's about a different competition, different unique competition. One of them is the first ever hot pepper eating contest. Oh. Like they must have had, all of them are in the hospital. Like there's no way that they're not. I it's possible, or like, you know, they're they're not in their hometowns, right? So they're staying in hotels or oh, something. Oh God! And like that. It's it's unethical to do that in uh, in a place where you're not cleaning up after yourself. Right, that's right. what I was Somebody's getting. Somebody's gotta. <laughs> I mean, you know, what so is his butthole like? All, all all the hotels are just like if you're in the competition, keep it moving. No, you're not you gotta, staying here. You gotta stay at the fucking <laughs> residence inn. Or whatever. right, we're all, we're all putting you in one Best Western, and after this is over, we're burning it to the ground. <laughs> This shall be no one's responsibility. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to talk down to anybody who is a professional eater. No, of course not. Because, I mean, do we need to be inclusive of these people? Like, <laughs> like, I said that, but, like, why can't we talk shit about these? Like, right. I, I've sp- So, like, watching competitive eating is, like, a weird niche interest of mine. But also I'm aware that it's, like, it's weird that this is a thing when also food inequality exists you know what i mean well there's that yeah <laughs> and just i mean it's kind of nauseating to watch it it's definitely like you just kind of have to sit it's like watching a horse give birth like do you not are you gonna be like oh i definitely never want to see that but you also kind of want how does this work i mean if you are at a stable or something <laughs> and you see a horse giving birth 
you're not gonna stop watching the horse giving birth. <laughs> right. You're gonna you're gonna see that shit through. You're not gonna be like, what else is on the tour? Right. This is the tour now. Right. Right. I think that was a really good comparison. Yeah, <laughs> watching somebody shove a bunch of hot dogs in their mouth and watching a horse come out of a horse is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> What's inside this horse? Another horse. It's magic. <laughs> so that, anyway, Katie Lanigan. For everyone who tuned into the show to listen to Katie Lanigan's interview, I hope this is a fitting outro. I hope this is what you wanted out of this. Uh, and uh, yeah, be sure to follow Hello Interesting People. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave us ratings and reviews. We love that shit. We love it. Yeah. We love it. We love it. We love it more than Joey Chestnut loves eating hot dogs and watching horses give birth. I assume if you like one thing, you like the other. Yeah, the two kind of go hand in hand. Right. But he's also watched more horses give birth in 15 minutes than anyone else. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye.